You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1179 of the Lawton Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on Super Bowl Sunday afternoon. And today's podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with all the props, odds, and lines that you could ever want and more than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. Today's podcast breakdown what became a kind of maddening loss for the Atlanta Hawks on the road in Boston, 105 to 95. On paper, no great shame. Loses this game by 10 points to the Celtics. The Hawks were actually underdogs by a pretty solid amount in this spot. But if you watch the first half, you will know why this game was maddening because the Hawks led this game as many as 15 points before halftime. And they were up by 10 at the half, only to have the third quarter fall out from under them in a pretty brutal fashion on both ends of the floor, really, but especially defensively. That was their one bad quarter on defense in the entire game. And with this loss, the Hawks are now 2 and 5 in the last seven games. And barely holding on to a play-in spot even as the stretch run of the season kind of arrives here and the All-Star break is nearing. So plenty to get to on this podcast. Before we even get to the game, though, there was some relatively big news for the Hawks over the weekend. And it happened on Saturday with an update on John Collins. Collins, of course, left the game on Friday against San Antonio with uh, pain in his right heel. He did not return to that game. Had an MRI on Saturday and that revealed a right foot strain is what the Hawks were calling it on Saturday. He's going to be out at least till the All-Star break. That covers three games, including today's game in Boston. Uh, And after a brief period of rest, they say, and treatment and daily monitoring both this week and during the All-Star break, they'll update it on that again. So, I'll just say this, there's no guarantee at all that he is back after the break. This is a very vague update. You know, they ruled him out for at least that long. But a right foot strain, a guy who's under contract for five seasons, you want to be a little pretty comfortable with him, I would say. So I'm not going to tell you that he'll be back after the Elster break. I don't know at this point in time. So uh, not great, obviously. You know, people, I know Collins is kind of a polarizing figure in some corners of Hawks fandom, but he's been their second best player this season by a pretty clear margin in my mind. Uh, definitely one of their top three guys short term and one of their best players long-term, so uh, certainly a big absence. They missed him in this game, as they kind of, because uh, I kind of knew they would, actually, because Collins, yeah, the Hawks had beaten the Celtics twice this year at home, and Collins was awesome in both those games, and uh, it's not just this matchup, you know, it's worth noting that he, def- he definitely struggled on Friday, but it was pretty clear he was uh, kind of hobbling, if you watch that game back, and in general, they just are not good without him, uh, in some respects, so they can play certain ways without him, it's not like this, it's not as bad as being without Trey Young for a long period of time, but as we saw even on Sunday, they don't have a lot of options in terms of rotation stuff. They played nine guys on Sunday, which we'll get into later on, but Gallinari is kind of a, you know, it's, it's difficult to build around him in some respects. They can use DeAndre Hunter at the backup four, but they doesn't seem to trust anybody else. Kevin Knox and Jalen Johnson both got DMPs on Sunday, as we'll get into. So uh, if it's not if it's not a long-term thing, the Hawks won't be too, too uh, messed up by this, but in terms of two more games before the All-Star break, uh, being without Collins is definitely going to happen, number one, and also number two, affect them in a negative fashion. So we'll come back to that when we need to. But uh, not great news to start off the weekend if you are a Hawks fan. In this game, the Hawks were relatively healthy, actually, besides the Collins, the Collins absence. Trey Young and DeLon Wright were both probable with hip issues coming into this game, and they ended up playing. The Hawks did recall both Joe and Johnson and Sharif Cooper. Uh, before this contest, they were actually both in Boston. Sharif played uh, the last few seconds in garbage time, but nothing else on those guys. But it was at least encouraging slash interesting that they called those guys up. I thought there was a chance, quite honestly, that Jalen Johnson might play in this game because of the Collins absence, but it didn't happen. So we'll uh, put a pin in that for now. Again, like I said at the very top of the podcast, Boston is playing extremely well. They've now won eight games in a row, so just losing to them is not the worst thing in the world on the road. Um, in fact, but online, our friends there had the Hawks as seven and a half point underdogs 
in this game, and that was the third largest spread as an underdog for the Hawks this season, only behind a, a loss in Utah. And actually, the Hawks' biggest point spread as an underdog this year was a, was 11, and they won that game. It was actually in Philadelphia before Christmas when, when the COVID stuff started to hit the Hawks, and Trey Young missed that game. That was the game when Bob Rathbone wasn't was on the broadcast. It was kind of a weird night all around, but the Hawks kind of pulled one out in that spot. But still, when you're seven point seven and a half point underdog, you're not supposed to win. Um, obviously, the Hawks won, the Hawks lost, I should say, on Friday as an eight point favorite. So an eight or large point, eight points or larger favorite on Friday. But you know, on paper, again, if you just didn't watch this game, saw the score, it would not have surprised me much at all that the Hawks lost this game by 10 points. Now, if you told me that the Hawks were up by 10 at the half, that's where it gets a little bit more interesting. So we'll dive in now to that first half of this game, but uh, we'll put a pin in that for now, and uh, that's what hopefully that sets the tone for the rest of this podcast. They started Gallinari in place of Collins in the uh, first quarter and third quarter in this game. It made a lot of sense to me because Boston plays big and starts big with Al Horford at the four. Um, they had Hunter on Jason Tatum, as you might expect, and then Kevin Herter on Jalen Brown as the primary matchups. That's what I would do as well. Brown kind of tried to ISO a little bit on Herter early on, used his size, and I thought Herter did a pretty good job on him. And really in the first half, they did a good job on both um, Tatum and Brown. We'll get into why that changed in the second half momentarily. The Hawks, though, led 6-0 out of the gate. They didn't start hot, though. They were actually 2-7 from the floor. And uh, both teams, pretty ugly offense. In fact, uh, a good time to remind everyone, this is an afternoon game, kind of a weird tip-off, and it was pretty ugly in kind of afternoon NBA fashion for most of this one. Um, there was an interesting fake DHO play by Capella early on that was actually nice to see from him. He was good in this game overall. The Hawks did shoot well from three at the outset. That's kind of the only saving grace for the Hawks offensively in the first half was the three-point shooting. Uh, but they led, by, they, led, they led by 10 pretty much in a hurry. It was an 11-2 run to go up 19-9 after about seven minutes of this game. Boston was very, very cold. Rotationally, the Hawks only played nine guys um, throughout the competitive portion. It was, the nine, it was the nine guys that you would expect. The Hawks have been playing 10 for a while, and if somebody misses, they've kind of just penciled that in. That happened in this game. It was Lou Williams returning to the rotation after missing four out of the last five games, and Collins, of course, not playing. So it's still, it still not. But the Hawks led, Hawks led 28-13. to so they were doubling up Boston with like, you know, through, I don't know, seven minutes of this game, eight minutes of this game. And they only scored four points in about six minutes, the Celtics did, early on. Hawks led by 11 in the first quarter, despite shooting 36% from the floor. It is hard to win a quarter by, by 11 points when you shoot that poorly from the field. But the Hawks were good from three, and Boston was 0 of 6 from three. Boston scored 17 points on 26 possessions in the first quarter. Obviously, defensively, it was pretty good from the Hawks, but obviously had some help there as well from Boston. And they won the glass as well in the first quarter. They played Trey the whole way in the first, opening up for Lou to return, as I mentioned a second ago. And they used DeAndre Hunter, at least when they could, as the bridge guy. You know, I'm, I've said this a lot recently, but it's been Kevin Herter as the bridge whenever you know somebody misses a game off the bench, whether it be Lou or somebody else. But the only way, to, only way the Hawks really could have played nine, an only nine in this game, was to use Hunter as the backup four. So basically, whenever Gallinari was off the floor, it was Hunter on the floor and playing the four in this game. Uh, but Boston started making their runs. Uh, their first big run actually was early in the second quarter, a 14-2 push to get the lead down to three. Uh, Lou Williams struggled in this game, turned the ball over twice in a row pretty quickly. When he came in, a Kong had a three-second three violation in which I counted. It was like five and a half seconds in the lane. He was just uh, came out, comes out in there, so it was actually the right call. But the Hawks only scored two points in like six and a half minutes. A pretty brutal offensive stretch. 0-6 from the floor and three turnovers in that stretch for Atlanta on offense. But they found it a little bit after that, a 15-6 run right back by Atlanta. Herter in a nice pass, uh, sort of a cross-court skip to Lou for a three. And then McDonough got going, as did Gallinari, a couple threes of their own right. Trey hit a step back three, and it was going well for the Hawks. They led by 14. In fact, Hunter had a layup opportunity that he probably should have made in transition that would have put the Hawks up by 16 points, but he missed that. And then Boston scored the last four points of the uh, first half to go down by only 10 for the Celtics at the break, and that ended up being kind of a, a, a mild swing, but still a swing nonetheless, because it could have been 16, ends up being 10. 
The Hawks were just okay, though, on offense in the first half. You know, Boston is very good defensively. In fact, they're, I think, they're number three in the league coming into the day on, on defense and number one for, like, the last two months. Like, they've been awesome lately on defense. So the Hawks scoring decently on offense in the first half was not uh, should not be overlooked. I was actually pretty, pretty solid from the, from the Hawks. But they were 35% on twos. That's pretty bad. They shot 9 of 22 from three, though. A lot of attempts and a lot of makes in, from three in the first half. And then 12 of 12 at the free throw line. That definitely helps. In fact, they were plus 15 behind three-point line in the first half. That definitely helps to boost your margins. Six turnovers. Trey had 18 points in the first half. Bogdanovich had a good half as well. Uh, Hunter was not good on offense in the entire game. But defensively, it was just huge to have him on the floor. In fact, he played 21 minutes in the first half. And you're about to hear in a second why he didn't play more in the second half. Uh, that was a weird, weird moment in a second. It was sort of addressed about the third quarter. But again, the offense was not fantastic at any point in this game, really. And, but in the first half, it was totally fine, acceptable, maybe even better than that against this defense from Boston. And then defensively, they held the Celtics to less than a point per possession in the first half. Boston was 17-45 from the floor and 4 of 20 from three before halftime. Tatum and Brown were 7 of 21 from the field. I thought Capella, by the way, who did not, he didn't take a, a single shot in the first half, which is uh, kind of crazy in some respects. But he had 12 rebounds, 15 minutes, was awesome on defense, and the Hawks did well in the class overall, even when they were playing smaller in that um, in that period without uh, without Hunter and obviously without Collins the entire way. So the first half was really, really good. It could have been even better, but being up 10 on the road, you can't ask for much more than that. And of course, things changed a lot, especially in the third quarter. We'll get to all of that and more on the podcast. But first, a word from our sponsors on today's show, and the first of which is Bill Barr. This time of year, I usually have given up on all my resolutions for the new year, but this time around, that is not the case. And part of that is because of Built Bar. Built Bar is fantastic. I actually enjoy eating Built Bar, and that helps me to eat healthy and eat right. If you haven't tried the Puffs just yet, you're missing out on one of the best tasting Built Bars. Puffs are the first ever protein infused marshmallow. They're fluffy, they're marshmallowy, they're not just a protein bar, they're an absolute treat, and they're covered 100% chocolate. There's some incredible flavors. You have churro, Coconut marshmallow, banana cream pie, they're all very, very good, and they're going to be your new favorite. Built Bars are low-calorie, high-protein. You can replace your candy bars with them because they're better for you, and they taste fantastic as well. Go to Built.com, scroll down to the macros chart, you'll be blown away with all the high-protein, low-calorie, high-fiber, low-carb, and everything else you can see. And honestly, if you compare it to candy bars, it's not even close. You have mint brownie, coconut, coconut almond, and new for this month, you have white chocolate cookies and cream. They're all delicious, and new flavors coming out all the time. If you think the flavor might be good, they'll absolutely make it for you. It'll be delicious, and it'll be good for you. At Built Bar, they're all about taste. They make it taste delicious first, and then they figure out how to make it healthy. I don't know how they do it, honestly, but they pull it off every single time. Go to Built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, and you can 50% off your order with Built Bar. That's Built.com, promo code LOCKED15. Use that promo code today and check it out at Built.com. All right, so the third quarter got very weird and not in a good way for the Hawks at the outset. Uh, the Hawks did score first. The first bucket of the third quarter went to Atlanta, but the next 12 points went to Boston to tie the game in under three minutes. So uh, not what you want at the outset when you have a 10-point lead. That's bad enough on its own. Then DeAndre Hunter got four fouls. Yes, four fouls in the first two minutes and three seconds. He had zero fouls in the first half. And I even tweeted that he was not in foul trouble. That was a huge thing for the Hawks. He had played so many minutes. I thought he might play like 44 in the game because of how many he played in the first half. Uh, and then he got two fouls on offense, two fouls on defense in a wild sequence. At least one, maybe two, were pretty shaky calls. And McMillan said the Hawks got frustrated. Was he thought the Hawks got frustrated with the officiating in that early stage? And that, I'm, not, I'm not sure if that was just Hunter or everybody else as well. But everything went wrong at that point. Um, I am not in favor of auto-benching guys, but I do think that you got to take him out of the game there for a while uh, because, again, he had four fouls with 10 minutes to go in the third quarter, but pretty much nightmare fuel for the Hawks. This is the one, I mean, it's always tough to be without Hunter against a team that has a big 
wing brigade, and of course Boston has two of those guys, but especially Tatum, who needs to have a guy who's big enough to defend him. Um, it's bad to have that happen under any circumstances, but then you throw in the fact that Collins is out, and Gallinari's defensive issues are well documented, and you kind of have a short bench, kind of short options there, especially if they had to use Herter on Tatum, which isn't like the worst thing in the world, but Herter's definitely better on someone like Brown than he is on Tatum. Um, Herter also had three fouls in his own right. Bogey got his third quickly in the third quarter as well. So it never got like ridiculously dire. In fact, Hunter fouled out, sorry, did not foul out end of, end of the game with four. Uh, and then actually had five, I think was fifth was like very, very late in the game. But uh, still, regardless, they sat him for probably a little bit longer than I would have. Uh, if you're a long-time listener, you will know that I do not enjoy the auto bench stuff. I think the coaches are very tentative. I did think that they probably should have taken him out at that point in time with four fouls that fast. But, um, you know, you don't want to sort of foul out your own player in some respects. But when he left the game, obviously a lot had gone wrong for the Hawks when he was on the floor because it was a 12-2 run and they get 12 points in a row for Boston. But uh, when, he, when he left the game, it got even worse. Boston actually lost a challenge on a Tatum charge that was called. I kind of thought it was a block on Capella, to be honest with you, but not an egregious one, and they uh, Boston lost that challenge in the moment. Um, but then Boston took, the, took their first lead of the entire game. The Hawks never trailed in the first half. And then Boston took the lead with seven minutes to go in the third, pushed up to five overall, and it was a 24-9 to overall run by Boston to start the third quarter. If you go back to the second quarter, it was 28-4 to because Boston scored the last four points before halftime as well. So, sorry, 28-9. I should say to be to be very clear, twenty-eight to nine was the overall run at that stage for Boston. Uh, Herder got his fourth foul. They had to go to Delon Wright. Uh, the offense did kind of find it a little bit at one point. They had two straight um, possessions that were pretty effective, like pretty easy buckets. And then Trey hit a jump shot as well. But then Tatum scored five straight points with Hunter off the floor, and the Hawks were down by seven late in the quarter. They brought Hunter back in after like seven minutes on the bench, maybe eight minutes on the bench. But Tatum had the first, had, I believe it was 12 points in the first eight minutes of the second half. So uh, part of that was on Hunter, part of that was not on Hunter. Regardless, it didn't go well. And then uh, Boston led by nine by the end of the third quarter. Uh, Nate McMillan, uh, I think, was correct, but lost, kind of lost his mind about a no call uh, on Tatum in the final seconds when he kind of went through a Kongwu, a pretty clear push off by Tatum that was not called. Nate was, uh, even on the broadcast, you can see he was kind of going crazy. Uh, no technical foul or anything like that, but they lost the quarter by 19 points. That speaks for itself. Uh, Twenty, Sorry, 42-23 to 23 in favor of Boston. Boston shot 72% from the floor, 5-7 from three, and 11-12 of 12 at the free throw line in the quarter. Uh, I will say, and Hawks fans were kind of mad about this, and I, I totally understand why, the officiating was not kind to Atlanta in the third. Uh, I don't think it was as bad as some, some might have thought that it was, but it was certainly not not a favorable whistle, let's just say, for the Hawks. But the bigger problem was them just being outplayed. Um, the Hunter the Hunter absence definitely hurt them, but Tatum and Brown combined for 27 points, so they actually outscored the Hawks by themselves in the third quarter. Offensively, it was not good for Atlanta. Five turnovers, zero free throw attempts. They didn't shoot it that badly, actually, and if you just pinpointed that quarter in the offense, it wasn't like a complete disaster, but the defense had their worst stretch of the game by a wide margin in that period. It was kind of a perfect storm. And through three quarters, the, the, the Hawks, uh, sorry, the Hawks were allowing about a 120 defensive rating to Boston. In the first half, it was 92. So it went from 92 to 120 in one quarter. And that is uh, not what you want to see if you were the defense. Um, still, though, the Hawks were down only nine, and it wasn't like it was untenable. Uh, in fact, if I told you that Boston would score only 18 points in the fourth quarter, I would have thought the Hawks had a pretty good chance to make, make a comeback or at least make it very interesting down the stretch, but the Hawks, unfortunately, scored 17 points in the fourth quarter. So that score kind of tells you already, if you didn't see this game, how bad it was, but it was a really ugly uh, slugfest kind of quarter, which obviously favors the team that's winning already, and Boston was that team. Uh, they were down 11 when, when Trey came back in pretty quickly. The Hawks, though, got to five pretty quickly, actually. Boston only scored two points, like the first four and a half minutes of the fourth quarter. 
Akongwu had a nice block on Jalen Brown. Bogey had it going at that point. He had 26 points with eight minutes to go. Uh, by the way, never scored again, unfortunately, for him. But he was really good and kind of, kind of kept the Hawks in it offensively at, at various times in this game. But Boston made a run right back. I, I was really baffled by this. I'm not trying to pick a Lou Williams, who I, I, I deeply enjoy as a human. Uh, but they kind of stuck with Lou for a long time. He was playing with Trey for like four minutes. And I don't know why. He, it's different if he had it going. and Because, you know, if there's ever a time to play Trey and Lou together, it's when you're losing and Lou is also playing well. Uh, that's kind of the only time that I could ever really advocate for it would be if their their offense is just cooking and Lou's got it going on that night. Number one, Lou did not have it going. He was pretty shaky in this game, let's just say, to be kind. And also, it wasn't like it was working either. Uh, regardless, they kind of did that for a while. They brought the starters back in, except for Bogdanovich for Gallinari in crunch time. But after a timeout... Trey missed a shot, Boston hits a three, and it's, they're down by 13 uh, with, like, I don't know, six minutes to go. Now, the Hawks did have one more run left in them. It was a 7-0 run to get it from uh, 13 down to six. Trey had the next five points in a row from there, and then they scored again. It was six with, like, four minutes to go. So you were definitely the underdog at that point, but the uh, a lot of the work had been done, and they were certainly in the game with four minutes left. Unfortunately, it never got closer than that. In fact, the Hawks never got within six, or, uh, sorry, fewer than six in the final, like, nine minutes of the game, so it was kind of, that was like kind of their glass ceiling along the way here. Uh, After a timeout, uh, Williams got a pretty easy bucket for the Celtics. The Hawks then missed a shot, and then got a stop initially when they were down by eight, but Marcus Smart, who does little things very well, got an offensive rebound and a bucket, and that was, for me, kind of the dagger. It wasn't over, but uh, if you're looking for the spot where I thought, all right, the Hawks are in real trouble here, it was that moment when they could have got it back down by eight, and then they gave up a back-breaking offensive rebound to a guard and a bucket. That kind of hurt them, and Trey turned it over on the next possession. They, they got a stop from there, actually, and Trey got called for a charge that would have really ended the game if it was uh, not overturned, but uh, Nate challenged rightfully so. It was kind of an auto decision because he still had his challenge, and that was, like I said, going to end the game if they didn't call that uh, the other way. But Nate did the right thing, challenged, won that one. Trey makes both free throws, and it's eight again. Um, So it's still under two minutes to go. You're in deep trouble, but it's not completely dead. They got to stop, actually, but Boston held the ball for almost the entire shot clock, which definitely hurts you there. And then Bogdanovich and Hunter both missed, like, driving layup attempts in the final minute or so, and they never got closer than six. So Defensively, again, the Hawks did their job in the fourth quarter trying to make that comeback. Um, you have to have two sides to make a comeback, good defense and good offense generally, unless you're just absolutely unconscious from three or something like that. But Boston scored 18 points in the fourth quarter. But the offense for the Hawks was truly dreadful. 7 of 25 from the floor and 0 of 6 from three in the fourth quarter. And that closes the door on what became at least a potential comeback attempt. Um, as far as takeaways are concerned, the offense was not good in the game. Uh, less than a point per possession throughout the entire way. Second half, just really ugly stuff. 35% from the floor, 19% from three. Um, even for the full game, 37% from the floor, 32% from three, and only 18 assists. Those are bad numbers for the Hawks. Probably the worst number in my mind was the 14 of 42 that the Hawks shot on two-point attempts outside of the rim area. So basically two-point shots from four feet to 23 feet or something like that. They were 33% on those shots. That's very, very bad, very inefficient. You don't want to take that many of those shots. You don't want to miss those many of that, that many of those shots. All that's bad. And again, 360 from three in the second half. Uh, yeah, pretty dreadful, dreadful there. Also, in the first half, they made a lot of gains on the, on the, at the free throw line. They were 12 of 12 at halftime. But they only, only took three in the second half. They made all 15 in the game, which is obviously what you want to do, make, make, make all your free throws. But Boston took 12 more, and that's an advantage, clearly, Turnover-wise, it wasn't too bad. 13 is about what they average, actually, for the Hawks. But only 18 assists make that look a little bit worse. Defensively, they did their job. I mean, this, at the end of the day, this is an offensive loss. Now, the third quarter will definitely uh, stick in people's minds, and it probably should because it was so bad defensively in particular in that third quarter. But as far as the overall 
you know, landscape profile of this game, the offense was worse than the defense. Like, pretty easily, if you look at it. Uh, defensively, they held the Celtics to about 107 in terms of offensive rating stuff. That is strongly better than average for the Hawks. That's a very good performance. Now, Boss is not great on offense, necessarily, but the Hawks, if you told me, again, coming into the game, the Hawks hold the Celtics to 1.07 points per possession, that's a huge win if you're Atlanta. That is way, way, way better than their average and they just didn't have the juice on offense to overcome that. Now, the second half was not great because of the third quarter. Like, it was legitimately bad in the third, let's just say, and Tatum had 25 points in the second half, but they held Boston to 42% shooting, 29% from three. They broke even on the glass. Like, if you look at the numbers and you look at just the game overall, it was really an offensive problem more than more than defensive problem. You look at the defense, like, yes, they had the one disaster quarter, but the offense, 40 points in the second half, like, you can't really get away with that, um, you know. So look at it different ways if you want to, but uh, if you want to point out one specific issue in terms of like a time period, it was obviously the third quarter, which was, and I do think this, defensively more of a problem than offensively. But for the full game, I would give most, most of the blame, if you want to put it that way, to the offense rather than the defense. Okay, before we get back to the player evaluations and a look ahead to the rest of the upcoming week for the Hawks, a word from our sponsors, and the first of which is BetOnline. Football season is now over, unfortunately, for those of us that enjoy that sport, but basketball is in full swing for both pro and college hoops. With all of that said, we get the latest odds, totals, player props, where the next coach might be landing, everything else that you might find in the betting space, you can find it at betonline.net. It's the number one spot for all of your sports betting needs. BetOnline remains the best spot for all sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. It's not just basketball either. BetOnline.net is your source for hockey, boxing, UFC, golf, tennis, auto racing, and even the next odds on Olympic coverage and all of the information for that space. Head to the website right now or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and the action. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, we'll dive in now to the player observations in this one. And while it was pretty stark on Friday, like the starters were terrible and the bench was pretty good, um... The bench was not great in this game, and nobody knew who it was, honestly. A couple of highlight guys, like Bogdanovich had a good game, obviously, uh, Capella on defense, but in general, not a ton of positivity to discuss in this one. Uh, DeLon Wright was pretty quiet, 2.6 6 rebounds, 16 minutes. Uh, the rebounding definitely helps in a game where you don't have Collins and you're playing Gallo and you're playing small, but other than that, just kind of a, a, an okay game from DeLon. I thought Lou was pretty bad and pretty harmful when he played. I don't understand the Lou Trey minutes, which I talked about earlier in the podcast, but three points, Two assists, a steal, and two rebounds. Had a turnover as well. I think he probably should have been given two. I'm not really sure if he lost one along the way somewhere, but that's what it was in the box score. One five from the floor, 0-3 oh, on twos. Uh, just definitely not, not a great night for Lou. Akonwu was okay. Uh, 4.5 rebounds, had three turnovers, which is a little bit weird for him in 17 minutes. Had, uh, as usual, a couple flash plays where you realize the talent that he has, but also some rookie-level moments, like a like three, three seconds in the lane violation that he got along the way, and uh, a couple of times where he just wasn't fantastic on the glass, for instance, but I thought he was okay. He was, not, he was not a problem by any means. And then Bogey had a huge game, um, you know, 26 points in 38 minutes for Bogdanovich. I'm sure that's more than they want to play him for the most part because of the uh, leg issues, the knee issues that he's had, but they, they kind of had to ride him in this game with the Hunter, um, the Hunter stuff that happened in the third quarter, and Hunter had foul trouble and ended up fouling out of this game. So Bogey plays 38 minutes, 9 of 20 from the floor, 3 of 10 on threes, so actually 6 of 10 on twos, 5 5 3 throw line, 26 points. By the way, he has now had a season high in scoring in two straight games. He had 23 against the Spurs on Friday for a new season high, and then 26 today. Also, he scored double figures nine of the last ten games. Now that's not the big. That's probably not the bar that you want to have for Bogdanovich. He's definitely more of an offensive player, but he's been more consistent and better since coming back from the uh, from the knee issue. So 
fingers crossed there, but they do need him to be good. Defensively, he's still not what you want for the most part, but at least he has a little bit more juice on offense, and you can kind of uh, scheme around that for the most part. So he was uh, one of the few positives, I thought. He was pretty good and pretty efficient in this game. Uh, to the starters, Kevin Herter was kind of a non-factor, like not bad. I thought he did a pretty good job on John, on John Brown at times in this game, but seven points, fouls out, 26 minutes, two rebounds and an assist, had a block shot. Um, so defensively, he kind of did his job for the most part. And you know, he was, when he was asked to guard Tatum, it did not go well, but that was not the plan coming in for a reason. He's kind of giving up a lot of size in that Tatum matchup. But again, he did a pretty credible job on Brown. Offensively, just kind of quiet, not bad. But three of seven from the floor, one of three from three. Not a huge plus for Herter in this game. Uh, Gallo had a weird slash bad night at the office. Uh, in fact, he did not play at all in the fourth quarter. And usually, you would think, particularly with Collins out, when you're trailing, you might want Gallo out there for some offense. But he didn't play in the fourth. He had five points, zero rebounds, zero assists, zero steals, zero blocks, zero turnovers. Just a bizarre line for him. Like kind of a cardio line for Gallinari. Two of eight from the floor, one of three from three. Uh, defensively, he's obviously not good. Uh, so definitely a, a negative game for him, but just also a bizarre one. Up and down for Gallinari. Uh, DeAndre Hunter, a weird game. So we'll, we'll get into this now a couple probably longer than everybody else on this on this podcast. But he had 10 points. Six rebounds, three assists, two steals, two turnovers, five fouls, and 38 minutes. Uh, I think he would have played 43 minutes, probably, 44 minutes, if he, didn't, if he had, that, had the foul barrage in the third quarter. He played 21, 21 minutes before halftime and probably would have played at least that much, if not more, in the second half. And he was the only player on the Hawks with a positive plus-minus. He was plus three when he played. Now, practically, you have to play him a lot, and he is badly needed in a game without John Collins, particularly in this matchup. As we talked about earlier, Tatum is someone that he's really the only guy on the active roster that you want guarding Jason Tatum. Like maybe Kevin Knox, you could throw at him just from a size perspective, but Hunter, it, there's Hunter and then there's a huge gap after that with the uh, guys to be able to guard Tatum. And defensively, I think he was good. I, I, you know, you're not, you're not going to stop Tatum by any means. And once, once he came back in the game, Tatum was comfortable and got going a little bit. It wasn't like he came in and just like shut Tatum down on either end of the floor. But I thought that they had to play Hunter a ton. And if anything, him getting those fouls in the third quarter would have been really helpful. Uh, him not getting those fouls, I should say, would have been really helpful because I think that definitely facilitated. I'm not sure it's like an apples-to-apples apples thing where you could say, like, that's why the Hawks gave up a lot of points in the third quarter, but it certainly did not help them, let's just say. So I think on defense, they play their best with him on the floor. No surprise there. Uh, but unfortunately, the offensive end of the floor, he was really bad. Um, 4 of 26 from the floor, sorry, 4 of 16 from the floor, I should say, Two of seven from three, so two of nine on twos. That is really, really ugly. Um, two of seven on threes is also pretty bad, but two of nine on twos is like really, really dreadful. No free throw attempts. Uh, three assists is not terrible for him. He's not a great passer by any means at this point in time, but a bunch of bunnies that he missed, a couple of bad shot selection things. Um, you know, we talked about with Tyler Jones last week, but it really does come down to the fact right now that the Hawks would be better off in some respects on offense if Hunter just was a three and D catch and shoot guy. And he does not play that role right now. He's doing a lot more than I would probably want him to do. There's some development stuff there where you might want him to, you know, get out of his comfort zone and do a little bit more of that. And for the long term, that could be good. But right now his finishing has been kind of weirdly bad recently. Um, the perimeter shooting was not good in this game either. So uh, I would say he was maybe their most harmful offensive player in this game overall. Uh, if you factor in just how much he played, etc. But he was also probably their second best defensive player behind Capella. So it's like a weird mixed bag game. I think that it's fair to criticize his offense because it really was brutal. Like, But it also, in my mind, 
probably would have helped the Hawks if he played even more. And it seems crazy with a guy to play 30, 38 minutes, but I think he was, A, going to play more, and B, that the results when he left the floor were not very good. So, anyway, that's a lot on Hunter, but I think that probably covers all of my bases there. And then the last two guys, Capella and Trey Young. Uh, Capella had 8 points and 17 rebounds in 31 minutes. Uh, he was everywhere on defensive glass. He got 15 defensive rebounds on the 49 misses for Boston. So, that is... Uh, well over 30% defensive rebound rate in this game. He was, and that, by the way, that's for the whole game. So when he was playing, it was probably closer to like 40 plus percent. He was incredible on the glass in this game. Had a block shot as well. Uh, defensively, you know, like he just anchors everything for the Hawks. Did a pretty good job, I thought, overall. Three or four from the floor as well. Two, two or three from the free throw line. So not a huge usage game for, for Clint, but no bad misses at the rim. Uh, just a positive game overall. I think he was. Uh, he think he was. I think he was very good, and hopefully that was pretty clear to, to watch on the film. And then Trey Young, uh, kind of a mixed game for Trey too. He was not efficient as a scorer. He had 30 points, which is obviously a good thing, but was five of 14 on twos. That's not good. Uh, four of 12 on threes is fine. 33 percent on pretty on pretty big volume there. Got to the line at all eight as he is wont to do. Had 10 assists. Um, so I think offensively it was below average from Trey just because of the efficiency stuff, but his creation is well documented. But I will say, defensively, I thought he was pretty good. Now, there's always a curve when you're grading for Trey Young on defense. Like, he's still going to give up some stuff. But I thought he was attentive. I thought he was active. Uh, he got he got in the way. He was pesky. Um, this is kind of what you hope for from Trey on defense. He's never going to be a plus. But I thought he did his job and probably a little bit more than his job on defense in this game. So, uh, you know, overall, if you're trying to grade that because of, you know, I would say below average offense Definitely above his defense, so probably like an average-ish game. He had 30 and 10, but that's not why he was better than usual in this game. I think it was really the defense, more so than the offense. And, of course, the offense is much better when he plays. And you saw when he left the floor at, I would say two different times, but especially in the first half, um, when he left the floor, the offense did kind of crater a little bit. So that speaks for itself. Okay, that's all the player stuff from now. Last kind of point on the overall game here for the Hawks. It's a performance that is frustrating. You know, if you're kind of grading the losses, like Friday's loss is so much worse than Sunday's loss, but it would have been nice to steal this one because if the Hawks had won this game, and I was thinking about it at halftime even, you know, when, when they were in control and winning, it's like, all right, if you steal this one in Boston, it kind of erases that disaster performance on Friday because the Hawks are supposed to lose, you know, quote-unquote supposed to lose this game. Seven and a half, one hundred dogs are supposed to lose. But uh, giving, it about, giving it all back in the second half is pretty brutal. And now they've lost five out of the last seven games, so... Uh, not like an enraged performance. Like I'm much more bothered by the performance on Friday, which as people listen to the show probably will know, I was much more animated about that loss. And I think it was just a dreadful performance more than anything else. But this was not a good performance. The second half, it was, uh, they had this game in not in total control, but they certainly were favored to win it at halftime and they did not win it. So there you go. Uh, with the loss, the Hawks are now 26 and 30 there. That means there's 26 games remaining on the schedule. So they played more than two thirds other games. Um, they are two games behind the nine spot. They're three games behind the eight spot. They're five and a half games behind the seven spot and six games behind the six spot. So they have to pass four teams to avoid the play-in. That, I'm not saying that's impossible because it's not, but that is getting less likely by the day with every loss, let's just say. And almost more importantly, they're only a half game ahead of 11th in the standings. So if they were to go on a, you know, an uneven spree here, they could miss the plan. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I would pick them to make the plan. Uh, I'd probably have them seven or eight right now, still maybe, maybe famous last words here, but they are currently closer to missing the plan than they are to being the ninth seed, much less the eighth seed or the seventh seed. So that's some realism in terms of the standings right now, after losing five out of the last seven games. And, uh, while the final game on the schedule before the all-star break is a road trip to Orlando, 
Uh, that's a fairly winnable game, obviously. Before that, though, Tuesday, they come home and play the Cavs. Now, they split the first two matches with the Cavs this year. They play the Cavs on Tuesday. Um, but Cleveland is playing a lot better than Atlanta. They are 13-4 and four in their last 17 games. They're tied for third in the East. Um, without Collins in that spot, you know, Cleveland, Darius Garland, Evan Mobley, uh, Jared Allen, they just traded for Karis LeVert. Like, the Hawks might not be favored even at home. I'm not sure what, what the line's going to be in that game, but it'll be close, even with home court advantage. So that's a tough one, uh, to say the least. Cleveland is pretty good. Uh, definitely was wrong about them coming into the season, but they've been uh, proving it um, for this long. So you have to credit them for doing all they've done so far. And yes, they go to Orlando after that, but it's a back-to-back with travel. So like, yes, they're better than the Magic. No one says otherwise, but that's a tough turnaround. Um, it is exceedingly possible the Hawks lose the next two games. I wouldn't pick that. I think if you just do the law of averages on the, on the next two games, the Hawks will probably be one and one in those two. If you want to just project, like get, get a system out like 538 or whatever and say, all right, what's the most likely outcome for the last two games before the, before the, dead, before the All-Star break, I should say. One and one is the answer. But uh, it could be 2-0. and oh. It could be 0-2. Oh so we'll see what happens there. But we'll have uh, more content on that coming. And that's it. After that, they have a week off for the All-Star break. And certainly that week off comes at a good time for John Collins as he's trying to get healthy for the second half of the season. But we'll come back to that as we get more information. Uh, please follow me on Twitter for more real-time stuff at BT Roll and follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Hawks. Also, it's huge for us to have you subscribe to this podcast via the platform of your choice, whether it be Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Odyssey or Stitcher, Google Podcasts, etc. We'll have a YouTube channel probably within the next month or so, so that's coming as well. I'll be pumping that out and promoting it when it comes, but please subscribe. And you know, people always ask me how to support the podcast. There's no Patreon here or anything like that. The best thing you can do to support the podcast is to download as many times as possible, subscribe on different platforms. Uh, there are creative ways if you want to get really creative to support the podcast, but really, I really do appreciate all the support. The best thing you can do is tell your friends and subscribe, rate, and review. All right, that's it for today and for the end of the weekend. We'll have much more this week before the All-Star break. And uh, I do thank you, as always, for listening. We'll see you next time.